0: Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. This past Wednesday I attended my twenty-eighth consecutive UNCW involvement carnival. Wow. I know what you're thinking. Wow, you are old. Twenty-eight. I was thinking, okay, most of these people come to the Environment Carnival are freshmen and sophomore. They're 18 and 19. 28 years ago today, their parents probably weren't even married. I mean, just as I started thinking about it, I got depressed. Um, But it's a place where, you know, on campus, if you're a campus organization, if you're a, a local business, a church, you come by and you give away free cups or pens or candy, and you're trying to capture the attention of the students And so as as I was making my way to the Christ Community Church table, I passed some kind of, you know, boutique type place, and I don't really remember the name of the place, but I think it was something like Salon and Swag. So it had some Skittles, and I thought, yep, going to need some of those. (laughs) And so with my cat-like moves, I came up to get a little bag of Skittles, and there's a couple of attractive twenty something year old girls sitting behind the table. And although I did not look like their target customer, I uh they nicely asked as I took the Skittles, Would you like a coupon? And I replied, Thanks, but I'm way past my prime. And they had a look like, Yes, you're right. <laughs> yep. Of course they didn't say that. But as I walked away, this is what they did say, kind of weakly, I might say. Uh, No, you're not. We can help. (laughs) Now, so, were those words of life or were those words of death? (laughs) Now, I think they meant them for life, but it felt like a sword in my back, like... No, you're really, sir, you're too far beyond help. We're not sure why you're here, uh, but anyway, so we're talking about words. Words get spoken, they have power, they have meaning. And I'm going to just read uh, maybe ten or so different proverbs, and it's probably not it's going not going to be helpful for you to follow along other than just to listen closely. and then we'll we'll return to several one of several of these during the sermon. So let's think about it as I speak God's word. And then we'll take a few minutes to reflect on this. Proverbs twelve eighteen: there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer or gossiper, quarrelling ceases. A fool gives full vent to his anger proverbs twenty nine eleven Proverbs ten nineteen when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. 13.3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. 17.27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Proverbs 15.23. To make an apt or a fit or a timely answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season. How good it is! A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Let's take a moment to reflect on, think about God's word. Every, every culture has its own book of Proverbs. Every culture has these one-sentence statements that pretty much everybody in the culture... Knows as little pieces of wisdom that get spit out from time to time. In our culture, in America, we have them. You can't judge a book by its cover. No, you can't. You can't just say uh, everything I see about you is external. So much of who you are is, is internal. If at first you don't succeed, what are you supposed to do? got to try, try again. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Now, that's a lie. That's a lie. We all all know it's a lie because when do you employ this little phrase? Right after you've been hurt by someone's words. You don't just randomly say it in the grocery store. Somebody says something to you, you get hurt by it. So their words actually did have power to hurt you, but you've got to spit something out. It's kind of like a, a, a shield or a piece of armor that you pull out. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: life and death are in the power of the tongue. So Proverbs in the Bible tells us that words have power. They have, they have tremendous power to heal Or to harm, for life or for death. And of course we all know this experientially. We all have a a little lockbox in our soul. That's got little phrases of words that we'll hold on to the rest of our lives. Words that we received. Maybe words that you delivered that were words of life or maybe words of death. The first time somebody that was significant to you, somebody you were kind of liking and you hoped liked you back, and they came to you and said, I I like you. Man, that's a word of life. You remember it. It's like a. it it opened up your heart. It just expanded your, your whole life. When, when a parent looks at you and says, you're so precious to me, that's, those are words that give life to a soul of a child. If you have a teacher, if you have a coach, if you have a mentor, and they come up and single you out and say, great job. You're, you're making incredible improvements. We're so glad you're part of the team. That just You just grow inside because those are words that you remember. You write them down. You have them in this little box in your soul because they're they're words of life they have power and they have power long after they're spoken they have power at the moment but but again you have a little lock box of words that you remember and they continue to give you fuel in some way they expand your heart they expand your imagination they, they cause your soul to open up like a flower Life-giving words is a mark of us as image-bearers of God. God used words to create life. In the beginning, what happened? God said something. He creates something out of his words. And so you and I as image-bearers, we're using words, and we're supposed to be using the words the way God intended to us, to to create things, to expand things, to, to give life to things. To give life to relationships, to give life to ideas, to give life to people's imagination, to possibilities. One personal example, when we started Christ Community Church 15 years ago, it was me and two other guys and then a little larger group of people who were wanting to launch something. And we all recognized the very first thing that we needed to do if we were going to start Christ Community Church is we needed to find a pastor, we needed to find a preacher. At that point, I was just a spokesperson. I was just the person who's up here trying to say something and say, hey, if this is actually going to go somewhere, we've got to find somebody who's really qualified, who's really gifted enough to stand up every Sunday and preach God's word. That's That's our first assignment. And what I was sure of is that wasn't me. I was positive that wasn't me. But as we got going, my wife and a few other people who were significant, whose words mattered, they began saying, Paul, you should become the pastor. And their, their words gave life to this reality. Reality. You might say their words expanded my imagination. I just couldn't see myself in that place. And it wasn't until somebody gave words to something that I couldn't see that they, you could say they gave birth to me being a pastor. Your words have so much power. You can speak them into the life of a person and give them imagination, give them a possibility, give them a hope that they can't see for themselves right now. And so words have power. They have power for life, and unfortunately, they have the power for death. Now, we're going to look at this proverb a little more closely, but twelve, eighteen, rash words or reckless words. Words that you don't think too much about are like sword thrusts. What, a, what an image. B- because of sin, we're all very familiar with how words destroy. We, we can easily recall words that we've said that have destroyed. Words that we've received that have destroyed. Destroyed a relationship. Destroyed any hope. Destroyed imagination, destroyed a dream. And you know what? These words, they might have been spoken a long time ago, and they might still be affecting your soul right now. I was listening to a podcast about a pastor who spent his whole church career going from church to church every about four or five years, and every place he went, he had a major building campaign. And after the third or fourth round, somebody said, Hey, why are you doing this? My dad said I'd never be good enough. And so I've got to put something on the planet. I've got to show something so I can prove to my dad who's dead that I'm good enough. You see, words have power. Words have control. Words open things and and close things. Some here are sitting, some here this morning are sitting here and they can remember angry, destructive words they heard as a child from their parents. That's why in James chapter 3, he says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small spark, and the tongue is a fire, and it can set on fire the entire course of a life. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear the power of what he's saying? Your words can, can burn up a whole life. Can burn up a whole generation. They, or they could give life to a whole generation. They could give life to a whole nation. When Martin Luther King stood on the steps and says, I have a dream. He started giving life to something that people couldn't see. They couldn't imagine. Words have power better proverb would might be sticks and stones may break my bones but words can completely destroy me so i've titled this series in proverbs skills for living and the one skill that's addressed in the book of proverbs above every other skill is how to use your tongue So wisdom is talked about more than any other topic, but in terms of just a skill, how do you live this life well? you got to learn how to control your tongue. There are over 90 proverbs that deal with how we speak or what we say. And so when I started out this sermon, I had pretty ambitious goals. I was going to cover words of deception versus words of truth. That was going to be one of my points. And I was going to think about Proverbs 24, 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. So how important it is as a family, how important it is as a community, how important it is in a relationship to really say things honestly and not use deception in any way. That was going to be a great point. <laughs> Another point was going to be words of gossip versus no words at all. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no gossip, no whisperer, quarreling ceases. That's so helpful in a community like a church. If the whispers would just go out, would just stop talking, lots of quarrels would cease. That was going to be a great point. And I had several other great points. I want you to know I had several of them. But each one of these points turned into a sermon. And I thought you didn't come to hear four or five sermons today. You have the capacity to hear one. So I wanted to contrast just one thing this morning. And the reason I chose this one thing is I think it's like the first domino. If you can get this one down, a lot of the other things I might have talked about will fall in line. And so what I really want to focus on is rash words versus restrained words or reckless words versus restrained words proverbs 12:18 there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we look at this and say, I want to have the tongue of the wise. I want to be somebody who's bringing healing, bringing life. I don't want to have reckless and rash words and pull it out like a sword and and cut people in half. And these rash words, you unfortunately, you're so familiar with them. I know you are. Just because of, of the sin in our hearts, they, they usually pour out very rapidly. They they completely bypass the let me think about it filter in our head. You know that filter that everything's supposed to pass through, but somehow in rashness or recklessness, you know, you just go right past that filter. Everybody's been on the giving or receiving end of this sword. And you may, you may try to pull that sword out quickly by saying, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Or, I'm sorry I said that, but you know what? When you pull out that sword, guess what the other person's left with? A big wound. Doesn't matter how fast you pull it out. They've got something to recover from because of your rashness. Words have power. When I was on my vacation, I told you this uh, last week, I'm not very pastoral on my vacation. I try to get away from people. I don't want to have any conversations. I want to make no decisions other than, like, when do I go to bed? What do I eat? That's it. This is That's a vacation for Paul Phillips. So I'm in this sort of full decompression mode, and I'm sitting poolside in this little mountain area. It's really cool. I'm tucked away in the corner of the pool reading, just trying to be by myself and a family of five or six, Strolls up and they choose the umbrella nearest me. Mom, a dad, a couple of younger kids, I think. I wasn't really paying too much attention, but, I, but I, what I did notice is that the two that were left underneath this umbrella were the two teenagers. I think probably a 14 or so year old girl and an older brother. It might have been 17 or 18. The mom and dad and the couple of younger kids go get in the pool. And once the dad is out of earshot, this is what I hear. The girl says, dad won't talk to me. Okay, so now if you could slow this down and just insert a little commentary. Dad won't talk to me. Commentary. I'm hoping my brother Dad won't talk to me. Dad's always with her. Uh, okay. We have a problem. Her now is not the mom. She cheated on her own husband and destroyed our family in the process. So I'm sitting there going, we've got a five-alarm fire here. I will never accept her. Here's a 14-year-old girl hoping her brother will listen. She's in nine kinds of pain. And before she could finish, the brother decides to interrupt and offer some wisdom. You feeling good about this? Yeah, don't. First statement from the boy like a sword. Do you think I care how you feel? Oh. She's his girlfriend, and it's time for you to get it, grow up and get over it. You, don't, you feel that, don't you? That, that's like a sword. It didn't even happen to you. You feel that pain from those rash and reckless words. She spent the rest of the day by herself on the other side of the pool, pretending to read a book with headphones in. Never came back to that spot the whole time I was there. And she's just emotionally bleeding to death. She's got a sword stuck in her chest. When she walked away, I was thinking of some words I'd like to deliver to the teenage boy. But they weren't words of life. All I could really picture after my anger was I really wanted Chris Farley to show up. You know Chris Farley, the motivational speaker. And I wanted him to come up to this young boy and just lean over like he does and say, "I just wish you could shut your big yapper." That's what I really wanted him to say. You you could have gone so far as a young man if you had just shut your yapper. But he couldn't. Instead, he unsheathed the sword and he drove it through his sister, and she's sitting on the other side of the pool all day long. He just couldn't restrain himself. And it was, pa- it was so painful. Proverbs 29 11 says something similar. A fool gives full vent to his anger. You know what this is like? Full vent. If I'm in the car by myself, it's a hot summer day. I turn on the AC maximum, right? What do I do? Shut every vent, right? Except for the one pointing right at me. So I'm back, I'm 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 not driving while I'm doing this, but behind me, vents down, side all vents down, one vent on Paul Phillips, full vent in his full vent. If you get my car, I do open the vents for you, but. I 'm by myself it 's full vent. And this happens this picture happens with emotionally immature people as well. They get angry and they shut every other vent: patience, perspective, mercy, grace. and the only thing that comes out is a full vent. Of anger, and whenever you give full vent to your anger, I would say every time it does more damage than it does does uh, good, and you're a fool this this young man, he was a fool, but look, I knew he was in nine kinds of pain, right? I mean, he didn't say this out of nothing. He's trying to pretend that it's not a big deal, and it's killing him as well. I just imagine the kinds of conversations they have in their house. This vent, it usually opens up for a short time, but but it creates a great deal of damage. And this one little phrase, this young man just opened up a full vent, and it only took a sentence. It only took a couple of sentences, but it did all this damage. I was involved in a very tense sort of decision making event with uh, a group of Christians trying to iron something out that was difficult and there were two sides of course and as the conversation went on in the group it looked like the it would look like it was going to go towards one side the decision and there was somebody on the other side that you could tell when that was happening they were they were amping up. Now, they didn't say anything at this moment, but you could just you could feel it. You could, You know the body language. You could just tell, vent's going to open here. And so when it came their turn to speak, it was a full vent of anger. And like a, a Roman candle, might have lasted 60 seconds, they just shot off words of death into this conversation. Now, when they stopped, there was a little moment of silence, a kind of collection of your thoughts. Everybody's kind of looking around. And I think they thought, I think I've said something a little over the top. And their comment was, let's not focus on my words, but on the real problem. You think that was possible at that point? Uh, No. See, now we have two problems. We have the problem that we're here for, and we have you. You're a problem. And so that made the conversation even more fun. <clears throat> so if we give full vent, if we, if we don't, if we're not emotionally in control, we're going to end up with, with more problems. And so how can we get help? That's really where I want to turn to now. And look, there's so many, so much here. I'm going to limit myself to three things, and I put them in a little word uh, piece that hopefully you can remember. Rap, R-A-P. I'm not going to rap for you this morning, but maybe this helps. Rap. You're going to restrain. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, guess what? Sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is wise. So restrain your lips. That's the first thing. Restrain your lips. Just say that with me. Restrain your lips. Now, it's not good to say it to your neighbor because you might say it with a little anger. So I don't want to say that. Just say it to yourself. Restrain your lips. Do you, did you know you don't have to say everything that comes into your mind? Did you know that? This might be a you know newsflash for some of us. Even if it's right, even if it's right, you don't have to say everything that comes into your mind. I think I used this, but maybe maybe I've said it so many times I can't remember how I used it in a sermon. I couldn't find it, so I'm using it again. Dallas Willard, a Christian writer and philosopher. Towards reading this in a book, towards the end of one of his classes, a student raised an objection that was insulting towards Dallas, and, and it was wrong. Instead of Dallas correcting him, he gently said, hey, this would be a good place to end the class for the day. Afterwards, I asked Dallas, why did you let him get away with that? Dallas's reply, I'll never forget it. I was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. See, I was right. I could have put the person in their place, but I have to practice restraint. I don't have to practice restraint when I don't know what to say because I just don't say anything. But I've got to practice when something's really on the line. I'm right. They're wrong. I've just got to practice. I've got to practice so when something comes in that I really should be restrained about, I practice some. I'm getting used to knowing. I just don't have to say everything, and maybe I don't have to say everything even if it's right. You have to practice Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. And this should be a memory verse for many, especially this young man at the pool. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. See, there's a 50 50 chance you're smart if you don't say anything. But there's no reason to open up your mouth and remove all doubt <laughs> that you're not smart. So just even a fool, if you just nod your head and say, that sounds right to me, move on. If you're a teenage boy here and you have a sister, you probably should never give advice, right? Just say whatever. If she starts going off, just say, you know what? I think you're beautiful. That's what I would say. Just leave it at that. Just, you know, because anything else you say, that's not going to be good for you. I promise you. I, I have three older sisters, and they still have many scars from Paul Phillips not really understanding this principle. There's a tombstone in England which reads this. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. So, it's just catching up to some of you. Please, let's not have to die to learn to hold our tongue, okay? Let's not say, oh, they learned it right when they got in the grave. Let, let's practice this restraint. The very first skill, I, it's just so simple, but so hard. Just restrain yourself, and you must practice it. First, secondly, apt. proverbs 1523 to make an apt answer. A fit, a timely answer is a joy to a man. A word in season, you hear that? Not every word is in the right season. How good it is. Proverbs twenty-five, eleven: a word aptly or fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. So, so Solomon is telling us that, that you 've got to be aware of timing you can 't just be aware of if what i 'm going to say is true or not you 've got to think okay, I want to make sure it 's true, but is it the right time? Are they ready to hear what i 'm talking about right now now this is this has got to happen a lot in families because you can just say you know what i don 't think they 're ready to listen right now and you 've got to give some space for that, even if it 's right you just may need some you may need some space because it 's not the right Timing, And as I thought about this, this reminded me a lot about the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Remember that? Now, when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before pigs, who is he admonishing? He's not admonishing the pigs. He's saying, don't be a fool. Why would you throw pearls into a pigsty? That's just going to make the pig angry. They think you're giving them something worthwhile. It's not worthwhile. They get angry and they attack you. That's the idea. So Jesus is saying, you've got to give a timely word. Even if you have a pearl, you've got to give it at the right time to somebody who's ready to receive it. There are people who don't want to hear the truth. You may have a family member or friend they may be angry or antagonistic to the gospel in some way. And it's your responsibility to know when to step back. When's, when's the right way to say something? How do I put it in the way that they can hear it? That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. We have to be apt. We have to be timely with our words. R-A-P, ponder. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. the heart of the righteous ponders. How to answer. Ponders, studies, weighs, meditates. Pretty much opposite of everything that happens on Twitter. You you ponder. You study. You're weighing. You're, you're meditating on what you say. It's, it's like a cushion between what you hear and what you say. And I'm wondering how much cushion you have between what you hear and what you say. So I have a little Carolina skiff and when I pull it up to a dock, what do I do? I put two things out. They're called fenders, right? Why do I put these fenders out? Well, I don't want my boat rubbing up against my dock. I might run a hole, rub a hole in my boat. If it just sits there and bounces up and down. And I wonder how many of you are rubbing holes in relationships because you don't have any space between what you hear and what you say. When you hear it, you just say it. And I promise you, if you do that too many times, you're going to start rubbing a hole. You're going to sink a relationship. Even if you're right all the time, which you aren't. But even if you were, you've got to ponder. You've got to think. You've got to give space to, is this the right time? Is this the right thing I want to say? I've got to to ponder that. I've got to restrain. I've got to... Give a right timing on my response. Is it apt? I've got to ponder. I've got to think about that. Those are wrap. You can just, you get into a conversation. Just ask yourself. Just go through that little uh, three-line exercise to see where you are. As I thought about trying to conclude this, I don't want to say wrap this up. I thought, well, you might be sitting here thinking, well, this is helpful, and I definitely need these skills. But I've delivered a lot of death words. And even though I can deliver less of them going forward, I've got a lot of wounds in the past that I've delivered to somebody. I've been reckless rather than restrained. I've given full vent so many times I can't know where to start. And as I thought about this, this is where the gospel is so helpful. He made him who had no sin to be sin. Why? This is the gospel. Why? You get the righteousness of Christ. Incredible. The man who controlled his tongue to perfection, you get it. I really want you to understand that the gospel isn't coming to church and learning some tips on how to live. That's not helpful if you don't know the gospel. The gospel is all of your terrible words against God, against other people, against yourself, are paid for in full. And you get his righteousness. So you have to understand that. You have to trust in that. And then once you do, then you have fuel. You have a way to move forward to say, I do want to do better. But I'm not doing better to get something. I'm doing better because I've been given something of great value. And finally, I was thinking of the very first line in Jesus' very first sermon at the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord, he's quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and sent me to what? You know what it says? Bind up the brokenhearted. You may be sitting here and saying, Paul, all I can think now about words that have hurt my soul. And the way to get healing is to meet the healer. Who starts binding up your broken heart. One, by helping you see yourself and your need for the gospel, then you can move out in a healthier way towards forgiveness because He's bound up your broken heart. Let's pray together. Lord, it's so much um, information here; it's hard to it can get be overwhelming. And so, my prayer is for. your people here to hear your word for them today could just been one phrase, one proverb, one, one thing they need. Would they first remember the gospel and let that fuel them as they move forward. But Lord, help us please to, to, to restrain, to, to when we speak that it's, it's apt, it fits for the time we Think through what we're going to say so that we leave this place. And as we spread out across Wilmington, we're we're delivering words of life and not words of death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.